0: Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 Podcast with our Ask the Experts series, a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Now, in today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Kausik Guraswamy, who is the CTO at Menlo Security. Before I bring Kausik on, I just want to give you a bit of background on our guest today. So he's an entrepreneur, and he's also a polyglot hacker, app tinkerer, startup advisor, and so much more, making him a truly multifaceted IT expert. He has demonstrable experience in product development and vision, including gaming and network and application security. And he spent the last six years in his position at Menlo. So, Kalsik, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Of course. Now, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about a big question here, and that is, is Software as a Service the new Trojan horse? And this kind of comes down to some new research and new findings that have been conducted. But I first want to dive into understanding... Just however present SaaS has really come to be. So my first question is, what is it about SaaS that has made it so popular? I think it
1: starts with Microsoft. Mm. So a lot of the large enterprises, even though they've traditionally been hosting all of their software on-premises, Microsoft basically said, we're going to end of life exchange and everything is going to Office 365. So even the most cloud-averse company is forced to now adopt the cloud in some way or the other. And it starts there. And then employees start finding things like online collaboration services, Dropbox and SharePoint and Box, et cetera, just because they find it convenient and they start using it. And it sort of brought up this whole new thing called shadow IT where employees were subscribing to these SaaS services without really IT sanctioning them. And a lot of this really happened because of ease of use, just benefits of the cloud, total cost of ownership, better collaboration, and things like that. And so really there's a sort of a movement to use more and more services in the cloud and not really have to host the software and deal with all the hassles of you know hosting software do
0: you think a lot of organizations kind of jumped on the bandwagon and started implementing without having a strategy in place because it was kind of popular and that's the way things were going
1: i think it started off with a few employees here and there but for the large part now i think things are fairly more established i would say Five years ago, it was a bit more of a you know wild wild West in some ways. Mm. people just jumping on the bandwagon because of ease of use, and they didn't really want to deal with i t to go and get things approved and budget and whatnot. You know it was a lot easier to pay ten bucks a month and use something in the cloud. But I think now things are a bit more structured, and I think technologies have evolved where i t can actually have more visibility into both unsanctioned apps and sanctioned apps because For the large enterprises, especially the regulated ones, financial, healthcare, etc., the data movement becomes very important, so IT needs to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot more structured now than it was a few years ago.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I mentioned in the introduction there that Menlo Security recently carried out some research into SaaS and security. So could you introduce that research to us and tell us of the findings that you, you came across?
1: Sure. We run a global cloud proxy with millions and millions of users using our platform. Seven out of the 10 largest banks use it. Four of the five credit card companies, largest credit card companies use it. So we see a lot of sort of campaigns that are happening and attacks that are happening, et etc. And it's always interesting to see where the bad actors are moving, right? They're always looking for the easy way out. And one of the things that we saw, which was a pretty big number, is with the adoption of SaaS, 30% of the attacks on our platform trying to target our users are coming from the SaaS platforms. That was a pretty big finding. And what we find was 70% of these attacks are actually coming from online personal storage services where five of them really stand out. So it's Microsoft, Google, Dropbox, Box, and Amazon. Now, I do want to say that it's not that these services are vulnerable or somehow they are inferior or not secure. It's just that these services allow any content to be hosted. And so that's really what the bad actors are exploiting. So if it was to simplify this, the way it works is, let's say, Max, you know, you use Dropbox and your Acme Bank, and you have some implied trust in your organization that Dropbox is a service that you guys are using for collaboration, and maybe in your security services, you whitelisted them or allow unfettered access to these services. So now me, as a bad actor, I come along and say, and I find out that, hey, well, you know, Max is using Dropbox. So I'm going to host some malicious content in Dropbox, like a word file with the ransomware or maybe like a phishing website and so on. And I figure out a way to send you a link to Dropbox, thereby evading your security and having you click on it. That's the gist of it. Mm. uh, But that's really how the the bad actors are now sort of using SaaS as a Trojan horse to launch these kinds of attacks.
0: From that standpoint, then, with with that research and, and the findings that you came across, what is this telling us? Is SaaS, you know, this new Trojan horse that I kind of mentioned in the introduction? How is this going to progress forward? If you step back and think from the bad actor's shoes, it used
1: to be that they used to go through these really complicated setups and set up these malicious websites and somehow steer the traffic to the website. It's called a water holding attack. Uh, They'll use some zero days and browser vulnerabilities or flash, and it was pretty complicated stuff and and it cost them money, right? And... They're always looking for the easy way out. So at some point they switched to, you know, Jimmy, me just send Max a, maybe I'll send him an email saying, uh, Max, you won the Caribbean Cruise Award, click here to win the prize. And so the phishing became sort of the next wave of attacks because it was just a lot easier. Like, for example, I can go, you know, maybe on LinkedIn or on Twitter, look up Max Curtin and find out like some of your recent thoughts or maybe where you've been, or if you're the kind that likes to post on Instagram, what you just ate. So I can use that information and send you some targeted phishing emails and have you click on it. Mm-hmm. So that became very easy. And that's working. Like, what are some of the other ways I can get to these people? And so SaaS services growing and adoption enterprises now becomes another vector that they can leverage.
0: It's interesting to kind of take that approach and see how it's kind of evolving. And I think a lot of reports that are coming out now is that there is issues in organizations when it comes to phishing attacks and people not being aware. Does this come down to an educational standpoint of having more people understand or having more control over systems so people can't necessarily open those emails that might cause these issues? See, the problem, I think, with
1: phishing is you're moving the decision making to click or not to click to a user that's not necessarily cybersecurity aware. Mm. I mean, think about an organization that with 250,000 employees. These are some of the largest enterprises in the world. Like They have a dedicated, hyper-trained security team, maybe 800 people in their team. Everybody else, they just want to go about their business and do their jobs. And clicking on links is an integral part of what we do every day. So I think from a phishing perspective, really, you have to take the burden away from the user and come up with some technologies and solutions where users can still click on whatever they want and not be bothered with the risks. I think studies have shown that training really doesn't work. I mean, you can train all you want, and end of the day, when that Caribbean Cruise Award comes in with some contextual sentences about their latest Instagram posts, People will click on it because it's just the human psyche, right? It's just curious animals. Mm. So we're going to click on it and go there and get fished. So really, from a mental perspective, I think the way we think about it is, security solutions that we come up with has to be transparent to the user. So we continue to let them do their job. But behind the scenes, you know, take the risks out. And the technique that we use is called isolation. And the of sort of isolation is holds the promise of perfect security.
0: Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a a correct kind of approach to looking at it. And when we kind of switch gears and if we're talking about SaaS from here, and I find it quite shocking that, you know, almost one third of of the web-based attacks were SaaS attacks. It's kind of an alarming number, isn't it? So what advice are we giving organizations to protect themselves against those SaaS-based threats moving forward over the next couple of years?
1: I think the part of the challenge is the implied trust in these services and whitelisting these services in their security suite and basically saying, hey, you know, these are services that we're using and we've talked to these companies like Google, Microsoft, et cetera, they have really good security practices, so we're gonna just go ahead and trust them. I think we're moving into an era now where you've probably heard the phrase zero trust and it's really gaining a lot of traction and the fundamental assumption here is don't trust what's on the other side, but still make it all work so that the users can still do what they want But don't whitelist anything. Don't take anything for granted. So that said, a lot of times people right now, if you look at the security world and listen to the news, people talk about zero trust. But really what they're talking about is conditional trust or granular trust. What that means is they go through a set of criteria. So Max is working in the office, and his office has all these security products. His laptop is fully patched, and he's doing all the right things. Once that decision is made, Max now gets unfettered access to Dropbox. So in some sense, that's what I mean by conditional trust because at the end of the day, once the decision is made, you can still download whatever you want from Dropbox. So I think from Menlo's contention really is in order to achieve zero trust, you can't have this conditional trust or granular trust. You need to have truly zero trust and that's only possible via like an air gap, of fuel. where if you're working with Dropbox and you're trying to look at a document, what if we can show the contents of the documents without ever downloading the document, right? Now that becomes zero trust and so that's really what i think enterprises start to need to start thinking about and i think the other element of saas services also there's a few things that are changing the world which is think about the large enterprise the way the security model works they have a hub in the middle and that's where all of their security appliances are racked in their data center and all of the employees whether they're working from home or branch offices they all have to vpn back in before they go out now with the advent of saas and office 365 that model breaks down because these security appliances are seeing significant amount of traffic to the extent that the branch office experience is so horrible. And so the enterprises are now forced to allow these branch office users to go direct the internet. The moment they do that, you lose visibility, you lose control, you don't have any security. So really from a SaaS perspective, you've got to take security where the data is, which is in the cloud. So having on-premise appliances or having everybody VPN back in that models breaks down. I think the short answer is if you're going to SaaS and you want to protect it, you gotta take security where the SaaS services are, which is in the cloud. You need a layer between you and the SaaS services no matter where you are.
0: Yeah, no, no, I hundred percent agree. I think that is important advice. No, I I find it interesting that you you bring up zero trust there because I've been noticing especially over the past year of of doing these podcasts and having these conversations, zero trust is creeping more and more into the conversation from an organizational standpoint. And I agree, it does definitely make sense to kind of have that and then get to that conditional trust element. Do you think a lot of companies are going to get to that adoption process? How far do you think it's going to have to get for them to start implementing that process as more kind of general across the enterprise scope? I think it's already starting. And I would say, like, you know, we
1: talked about the VPN problem. This was pre-COVID-19. Yeah. And one of the things that we're hearing from our own customers is, you know, so the VPN infrastructure that enterprises have built out essentially assumes, you know, one to maybe 5% of the workforce is remote, working from branch offices or, you know, our home. And with COVID-19, that has completely flipped. You know, like 95% of the people would stay in shelter. They're all working from home where this VPN is getting completely overloaded. So their enterprises are now saying, look, I can go and buy a whole lot more appliances to keep up with this surge in need, or my best option is take rich multimedia sites like YouTube and other things and let people connect directly to that instead of coming back, all the traffic back to the corporate. But the moment you do that, you're, again, back to lack of visibility, lack of security. And so really enterprises are struggling with this idea And I think that's where there's sort of a global cloud proxy platform that sits between the user and the rest of the internet services, whether SaaS or random blogs or whatever, that starts to make a whole lot of sense. And you know, I talked about moving security to the cloud, but I think it's a time to rethink what that means because historically, security, whether it's on-prem or even some of the other companies that are doing it in the cloud, they haven't really changed the security efficacy, right? They just made it convenient to use the cloud. But fundamentally, The security services from 20 years ago, it hasn't really changed in the sense of they're all largely detection-based, meaning they try to figure out whether something is good or bad, and if it's good, they allow you to connect directly. If it's bad, they block it. That model of cybersecurity hasn't changed when you move security to the cloud, so it's a great opportunity to sort of rethink that and use things like isolation that give you a much, much higher efficacy of security as you move to the cloud.
0: Yeah, it's an extremely important element of cloud security to kind of look at. So if we were to say Menlo Security was to conduct the same research, let's say in about five years' time, or even shorter than that, what do you think we can expect to see? Or a better question is, what do you hope you'll see?
1: <laughs> you know, five years or even three years is a long time in the shifting landscape. You know, if history shown us any indication... The bad actors are always looking for the easy way out, and what I mean by that is they're constantly looking to see what are some of the technologies and services that are gaining broad adoption within enterprises, and can I leverage that to my devious purposes? Uh, that's been the case, you know, since the dawn of cybersecurity, right? You know, initially it was all these zero days and browser vulnerabilities, and then at one point, even two years ago, we put out a paper saying. Microsoft Office was starting to be used as a platform for delivering malware, meaning they were using attachments with Word documents and macros. They were sending Word documents with zero days. They were sending PowerPoint presentations with a single URL, but no macros. I mean, So they were sort of using that platform because it was widely adopted and used in there. But now that enterprises are moving to the cloud, instead of sending Word documents, these documents now reside in 365. So I think that model shifts. So the... The fundamental goal remains the same. You know, how do I infect somebody and exfiltrate data or cause a breach? So what is the easiest way for me to get there? And so in some sense, it's kind of hard to see three years ahead. But I think the, the simpler answer is really whatever the mainstream adopted technology is in large enterprises, that's going to become the target.
0: I know it's a difficult question to end on and, and answer fully, but it's it, it's really about paying attention to the trends as well, isn't it? And just making sure that correct organizations are understanding what's out there and making sure they're acting on them in the correct manner and in a timely manner as well. So, for sure. Kalsik, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the podcast, talk to us today, and explain all of this research. Thank you, Max. Thanks for having me. Of course. And thank you for everyone who took the time to listen. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you want to find out more information, make sure you do head over to menlosecurity.com. And for more podcasts like this, you can head on over to our website, em360tech.com. And also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever get your podcasting fix. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Ask the Expert series. Until then, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you soon. listening to the EM360 Podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.